0: welcome to unwrapped a podcast all about chocolate brian and i love to talk about chocolate and we've decided to record our weekly chats and make them available we'd love to hear from you and learn more about what you'd like to hear about or you can leave us a review on itunes or soundcloud or reach out directly to us on social media myself at chocolate garage and brian at abandoned coffee thank you for listening So, you just accused me of not ever eating chocolate and hating it. So I'm going to tell you everything I ate today that was chocolate. I did pretty wow. well today on chocolate. You had
1: a lot of lot of chocolate things today.
0: I I did. I I was at the Chocolate Garage and um, I was working with Katie and um, training her on how to prep a tasting. And then she's actually going to attend a tasting with me tonight that we're doing for a Stanford group. And so when I'm around chocolate, because there was chocolate all around me, you know, like jars and jars of different broken up pieces of samples. So I'll tell you what I ate. This is actually going to be a good confession. It's going to show you what I gravitate towards. Um, I had some sweet and sassy, the Patrick bar. Um, Mm -hmm. You remember that one? That one is actually delicious. It's kind of, it's the same as the Boss, but it's minus the nibs. Um, I also tasted his malted milk, which we're featuring tomorrow, which is just super delicious. I have not. Um,
1: That's the new one, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. What you need you to save that? me
1: some of that. You need to put that because I don't have it. You need to put that in my order too. In your
0: treat box. Okay. With the treat, um, box. treat box. <laughs> um, yes, I will have to put aside some malted milk for you. I will try to remember to do that tonight because I'm actually not working tomorrow and we will almost certainly sell out of the few cases that we got tomorrow. Right. We got them the other day, but we're going to sell them tomorrow. Um, yes, malted milk, which interestingly, And Patrick has a habit of doing this with certain bars. Um, The first ingredient is what do you think the first ingredient is? Cocoa. No, it's the fourth ingredient. Can you believe it? Cocoa is the fourth ingredient, but it's actually the fourth and the fifth ingredient. So if it was because one is listed as organic and one is fair trade. So he's listing the two different types of cacao that he used. Um, mm. I'm going off memory here, but that's my memory of it. And so um the first ingredient is cocoa butter. And then I think oh. the next ingredient, I think it's milk, uh sugar and then milk, although it might be backwards. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, so Alan, um, there's a few bars that he's done that way where the flavors are subtle enough that if you make it a milk, um, dark of a milk you can't really get you can't really taste the whatever it is like in this case malt and so he tends towards making it almost like a white chocolate um where it's really cocoa butter based and then he's adding some cacao so kind of neat neat it's really good it's yum it's so i love malt i love malt balls i love malted things um so yeah I, that was a really good bar. I also tasted, what else did I taste? I also tasted the original beans from De Virunga, the Congo, um, bar. That's a milk, um, original beans being made by Felklin, who I love. I love Felklin. Anyway, um, that's a really nice one. We're featuring it tonight at a tasting. And so I tasted it to make sure it was yummy. Did some quality control. What have you been nibbling on?
1: Um, oh, well, don't tell me.
0: Don't tell me actually, because, because we're going to end the episode. We got a suggestion from Nate, who's helping us with some show notes that he put together for our last episode and is going to be putting together going forward. Um, Nate Kostelnik, I hope I pronounced that right. And one of the suggestions he had, because we've been chatting a little bit and back and forth about ideas, um, was to end the, the show on a chocolate, like on a chocolate note, what it is that we're tasting and really digging these days. So why don't we leave that to later, even though I know what you ate today and what you're digging. We'll leave it to later sure, you end.
1: don't know what I had you don't know what I had yesterday though. But that's okay. Doesn't matter. Nope.
0: So the crazy thing is is that we haven't recorded an episode since you were here in town. Because the last episode we recorded, we were talking about what we do and the poutines that we would eat while you were here and the coffee shops. And so we haven't spoken. It's very, very sad that we've been both so busy and it is. And we and didn't get any
1: poutine either.
0: We we didn't. I mean, I think that means you have to come back. Unless there's
1: I agree good
0: good poutine in louisville and i i'm gonna come out there for some reason
1: i mean you could do that too but i don't think that there is so there is in cincinnati but it's a couple hours away
0: there's good poutine in cincinnati
1: yeah there's one place i there's hot dogs and they have hot dogs and poutine and that's really good hmm. and and oysters it's kind of a kind of sounds really random but it's really good
0: you, i like all those three things i mean just fly it into
1: cincinnati and we'll hang out in cincinnati
0: Okay. Cincy. Do people call it Cincy? People do. Hmm.
1: Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: I have not been Cincy. to Cincinnati, but I have been to Ohio. For some reason, cool. I feel proud of that because I'm Canadian, and why would I have been to Ohio? But I have been to Ohio.
1: How many barns did you see that said Ohio Bicentennial? That's kind of a thing.
0: When was the Bicentennial?
1: I don't know. Like 20 years ago or something. I don't know. <laughs>
0: I ask because it probably was about 15 years ago <laughs> that I went to Ohio. So I wasn't see, sure if it bicentennial happened.
1: Bicentennial Barnes <clears throat> to celebrate and cl- commemorate Ohio's 200th bicentennial. It looks like um, 2003. So, yeah, 14, 14 years ago.
0: Mm. I might have gone just to, before to 2003.
1: And hmm. yeah, they're all over the place. Anyway, this podcast is brought to you by the Ohio Bicentennial Barn Association. It's not.
0: It's not really. <laughs> um, so, what should we talk about today?
1: Uh, I don't. I don't know. I mean, we didn't. So we 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 said that we might talk uh, while we were in for Good Food Awards. We didn't do that. Um, and then you've been to India in our back. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that or not. But you went on a on a research trip, right?
0: I did, and I did post it on Instagram. So it's out of the bag. I wasn't keeping it on the down low.
1: Cats out of the bag. So, uh, so I mean, we could talk about either of those things or, uh, something else if you had something else specific in mind. I know before we talked about what this podcast could be like, but I don't know if it's going to happen, but we could still talk about the concept of it because I think it's something that still could be facilitated. Um, maybe not the, uh, at the starting time, starting point that we wanted to, or maybe just without my involvement. I don't know. Um, Yeah. Oh,
0: you mean to the fact that we are going to start doing some interviews and bringing some folks in to get their expertise and have that be shared through the podcast as well?
1: Well, not, not, um, not the, the podcast medium, but I was, I was bringing it up to you about Uh, Several different things that go on in coffee, where they have these, um, these panels, these live panels, um, where people get together and they'll either debate or they'll just talk about topics that are, that are industry focused and gather people who can speak on, on all, either side of the debate about these things. And I just had mentioned to you that, uh, I, I mean, I know that there are, um, Class, eh, classes isn't the right thing. There are, what are they called? Like at Northwest, um, or at lectures? the unconference, lectures. Panels, right? There, there panels, are panels yeah. and lectures and stuff that happen. But I thought it would be interesting, and in, and in, and we had tossed around the idea. I don't know that we actually came to any conclusion on it. But I thought that it would be interesting for the larger span of this umbrella titled of Unwrapped, um where we kind of jump on the call and we have just our chit chats about things that go on in chocolate or whatever. But then I started thinking uh, more largely that there should be something that's more Ted talk style or um, debatey that get one, uh, people who are already in the industry thinking about issues that are going on in the industry and seeing multiple sides of it, or uh, it be something that people who are not in the industry that they could go to these events and they could start to see what some of the things are and the different sides that people yes. are talking about um, in regards to to issues and topics that are that are currently going on in in chocolate and and I I mention this because um, we had talked about potentially trying to to gather. People who would want to speak on a couple of different topics and us try and and put one on during uh, the weekend of Northwest Chocolate Festival while people are in yes. Seattle. Um,
0: yes. And, th- and it'd be something
1: that maybe happens several times throughout the year. Uh, we can host it in different cities. Um, but one thing that we wanted is to make sure that it, it always was recorded so that we could then bring it back here and host it here. And then what happens with that too, is allows us to continue the conversation beyond those panels to continue to either find other people who might want to chime in on a topic or just gives us more things to, to bring into our more casual, uh, uh, talks in between, um, these things. So something that kind of fits under the umbrella of, but, but is but is bigger than what we're currently doing. Um, industry focused, hopefully getting people actually thinking about what's, what's going on in the industry.
0: Yes, I love it because um, I think more and more there's interest and there's more, you know, like when I started – the garage seven years ago, there was almost no articles ever about chocolate and cacao. And now um, we're starting to see more talk about it. We're seeing, you know, books coming out this year is a big, this fall is a big year for a bunch of books being published, one by Dandelion, one by Megan Giller, one by Sean Askinosy and Lauren Askinosy. And so, you know, because of that, there's more press. There's, there's also been the whole Mass Brothers, um, uh, what's the word? Expose, um, that, that happened um, some time ago. And so there's just been more and more chatter. So I think people are curious. They're trying to understand this field. And I think it would be really neat to bring together some, some folks in the industry to chat and then have the public come too and maybe learn. And then of course, maybe just learn on the podcast through the recording. So I love it. It's a great idea. And we talked about it a little bit when you were here um, and it's something that goes on already in coffee. So it's something that you, we also ended up, um, at the coffee shop that we were at, um, bumping into Nick Cho and talking to him about like some of, some of that, like the, his involvement in some of those and meeting some of those kinds of conversations within coffee. Right.
1: Yeah. And I think that, I think that's kind of what, what, what spun from that. So we were, you and I were on our way, um, to Muir Woods and just kind of for afternoon around San Francisco, you had come up and we, we stopped into St. Frank coffee. And where I was sitting there just kind of hanging out waiting for you. Um, and then you came in and uh, and Nick Cho was already there. And we, so we just sat down and kind of chit-chat a little bit. And he was talking about um, the newest cafe that they're going to be putting in um, in Mission District uh, in San Francisco. And in uh, and, and wrestling with um, gentrification of the area, putting in a shop. And, and then actually – that's that's a little irrelevant. I, I think um, the conversation went here and there while he was talking, but then he was talking about this panel um, that he moderated. And I don't remember. I want to say it was tamper tantrum because that's one of the ones that, in coffee. Um, but there are also bloom events and other, other types of things like this. But there was a panel where he had brought up the, uh, the question of when we use in marketing, in terms, in in coffee, when you use pictures of farmers, is that objectifying for the farmers in order for us to sell the product? Um, really interesting, uh, a topic. Um, and so things like that, uh, and, you know, he was talking about that a little bit and and it just started getting, getting me thinking, you know, a lot of times when I, when I'm online or looking things up, um, I don't, I don't really know personally who I know to have definitive conversations with about where things are, um, in the industry. Um, like one specific person, uh, who's really digging around, getting a lot of knowledge about that. And not that there needs to be one specific person, but, um, just me personally, and maybe it's because I don't sit down and try and do a lot of, uh, thorough thorough deep deep digging um i i feel like there's a lot of chatter to try and cut through and so having a specific outlet where some big conversations were were aired out uh, i just thought is is really intriguing in in this industry and a time where we're um where we're seeing it kind of grow but we're seeing it like we've talked about in other episodes like some people are everyone's kind of doing it their own way or not necessarily according to whatever practices or not along the same trajectories of understanding roast or, uh, or whatever. So uh, yeah, there are a lot of things that can unravel in all of the elements there, but yeah.
0: Yeah. I think the interesting, the the interesting concept of, of somebody within the industry choosing a, like Nick talking. So, and by the way, Nick Cho is, um, the person who started with, I think it was Trish is the other person wrecking ball. Yeah. It's um, his wife. I've, yeah. So I hadn't met Trish, but I, that was the name that came to me. Um, so wrecking ball coffee, which is, there's, uh, one spot in cow hollow, I guess, Pacific Heights, uh, part of San Francisco, a really tiny little wonderful place to go and get coffee. Anyway. Um, that's Nick Cho, but I love the idea of taking someone within the industry who's kind of paying attention to what's going on and then choosing a couple folks to have a really, like, I don't know, interesting and sort of, um, hot discussion about, you know, what you just brought up the idea of like, when we use farmer's pictures, what, what does that mean? And what is, you know, is that manipulative or objectifying? Um, so choosing folks, I think he actually specifically said to us when we were hanging out, um, that he chose people from, you know, who were going to have very different points of view on purpose to have people talk about it from different angles. So I think that's a, that's a really neat idea, and I and we'll have to figure out how to do that around the different conferences or, um, yeah, around different gatherings when we're when we're together and try to pull pull together a group to have these spicy conversations. Absolutely. Yeah, maybe um, Northwest, and if Northwest doesn't work out, then uh, maybe the. January event in San Francisco around fancy food and fine chocolate industry association and good food awards. Mm-hmm. You were, Are you, you do were,
1: you go to the, what's that chocolate show that happens in DC? Do you go to that?
0: Um, I've not been to it. Um, oh, and I'm confusing it now with the New York one. Cause there wasn't there one that just started in New York called a couple years now, the big chocolate show. Is that New York?
1: Mm, I don't know. Maybe.
0: <laughs> I haven't been to either of those. Um, Unfortunately, I just I don't get out east a lot for chocolate related things. L- last couple of years, I've not even made it out for the summer fancy food show because I've been traveling for other reasons. So um, when right. I go out east, it's even further. Well, further I might Montreal. I
1: might be doing that D.C. Chocolate Festival this year. So we'll see.
0: When is it? We'll see.
1: Uh, April, I think maybe end April.
0: OK, yeah, that sounds right. Mm, so What's happening well, in April? Mm. Uh, well, um,
1: hanging out with me in D.C.?
0: <laughs> I was just thinking that um, in terms of trips, you know, I'm doing an origin trip as you sort of alluded to. I did the research in the past couple of weeks um, in South India and that trip is going to happen in February, late Feb. And then I'm um, hoping to also do a repeat of Nicaragua and go see how things have changed and bring a new group of people to Nicaragua and that's going to be the first week of April. So it sounds like it doesn't conflict with D.C. I just don't know that um, that will all be able to work out for me because I have constraints in terms of being away from home for long periods because I have little children not so little anymore but you know
1: I'd like to make both those trips happen for myself also
0: India and Nicaragua
1: yeah that'd be fun yeah
0: that would be awesome we'll
1: see and then maybe we won't record a podcast while we're there either so
0: while traveling
1: yeah I I mean we didn't in San Francisco I wouldn't put it past us to not while we're there
0: that was totally your fault I had,
1: hey, excuse me. I had my backpack with my laptop and my headphones <laughs> and my microphone stuff with me everywhere I went. <laughs> everywhere. actually, I hauled you know what- that enormous heavy backpack everywhere I went the entire trip except for that last day. So don't give me any shit about it.
0: <laughs> um, actually it was, we were planning to do it in Muir Woods. We thought it would be a genius idea. Cause I hadn't been to Muir Woods in like 13 well, or more years. And when we got there, it was just such a tourist show. I mean, it was not tranquil at all. And so there was just no way we were going to record cause it wouldn't have been a beautiful background. Yeah, then. it was,
1: some, it was impossible. It was actually really interesting. We got to this one part, this is kind of irrelevant, I'll make it short, but we got to this one part that was a dissection of an enormous tree, enormous redwood. And it and had all these like arrows pointing to different points in time in its life, right? Like this is, I don't know how old it was. So I don't know. This is where the dinosaurs were. No, I don't. I don't know what happened. This war or the establishment of this state or whatever, all these different things. And it was interesting to see how many hundreds of years this tree lived. And then it showed one of them, one of the last ones was the establishment of mere Woods as a state park. And then like 13 years later, that tree died. <laughs> and I, and I found it so intriguing that just, it just so happened that in the hundreds of years, this tree lived that so soon after allowing people to just throw money and be loud and walk around these trees it decided (laughs) you know what I'm over this life and all these things that I've seen goodbye and it was um you know maybe maybe it's time had come but it I I just get a when I looked at it I just got a different story in my head so well way to go human race
0: (laughs) it could have been because we were we were expecting one thing with Mere Woods like just tranquil beautiful redwoods, which, you know, if you don't go to Mirror woods and you just go to the redwoods in the hills, you, you often get that. Like when I go redwood running, it's quiet. You don't see any people. It's really wonderful to be with nature. So I think we were maybe not loving humans in that moment. Um, so that could have influenced your feeling that the tree checked out once it became a state park that was going to be overrun by humans.
1: Do you all, do you have, is there something that happens like right after Thanksgiving time that's called the Redwood Run 5K? Because you said you when you do a Redwood Run and it just feels like that's something that feels like that's something that would exist and be titled that, (laughs) oh, the Redwood Run 5K. It's like a turkey (laughs) around a bunch of Redwoods on the poster. It's like always, it's always on Thanksgiving morning.
0: You know, um, I have no idea. I think- No, no, nothing, nothing funny to say about it either.
1: Getting back, getting back to those redwoods though. One, so one day I did, I came down to see you and I got to, we got to hang out the chocolate garage and, um, walk around town and, uh, drink blue bottle coffee and you showed me all these other chocolate places that were kind of around you that were all closed, um, I guess Chocolate Garage was close too, but, um, and and then we went and we we, we drove about five hours through these trees <laughs> to to try and get to the beach. Um, the plan the plan was to get to the beach. We drove through the redwoods, beautiful, and then we ended up figuring out we've been gone a very very long time, and we have to get back. So it's gonna be likely amount around the same duration of time. So then we ended up just finding um like an open air uh preserve I guess mm-hmm. you could call it and and we hiked up there with a bag full of uh bread chocolate chocolate cheese that we got from after the good food awards they have kind of a a dinner thing and and then there's just this table with good food awards submitted things. So we had blocks of cheese and um some tartine bread and and chocolate and what else do we have? I thought there was something else in there. Little cherry tomatoes. Oh yeah, and just had a had a little picnic while the fog rolled over these the hills of whatever they are. I don't know. I'll throw a picture in the show notes.
0: Well, you know but what? That, but I mean, that was better reason... than mere woods. Yeah, that was lovely. It was so peaceful and just. Uh, the, the fog and the wind, it was lovely. And actually, it's good that you talk about that and set the scene because the new picture that we're going to use for our podcast is taken there of you and I, right? Remember? That's right. Now we're committed to it.
1: It's tricky. Um, real cameras are not exactly like uh, cell phones. It's kind of more difficult to like hold it out in front of you and and take pictures um, of, you know, you with someone. So try to selfie with that and it didn't quite work, but I think we got something that that kind of looks like a sweet band photo that will that we'll use as a banner.
0: So. Yes. Um, so maybe we should talk of something of substance around chocolate. What do you think? Okey doke. Well, so one of the things that you didn't mention that I somehow feel would be worth mentioning because it's been on my mind that is something that's happened since you were here for the Good Food Awards and now, like before I left for India, um, is that I uh, I basically announced to my newsletter community of people that um, I'm going to be closing the Chocolate Garage brick and mortar and only having it open for sort of special events and tastings, but uh, transitioning to pure online business. Um, because I've been looking at numbers and um, seeing that for the first five years we had really good growth, consistent growth. We're moving in a direction of eventually getting to be profitable. And then the last couple of years has just been totally tanking. And so, um, yeah, so that that is um, on my mind is thinking about um, coming back from India. I mentioned to you that I'm kind of excited. I, I think there's some really neat things that could be done around online that are not just sort of the run of the box. One dimensional online platform, but really trying to bring alive the experience of tasting chocolate and the stories that, you know, at the chocolate garage when we meet with customers and explain bars, we kind of go through that in person. So, how do you transform that into some sort of an online experience that has, you know, um, some elements of relationship and trust and um, the richness and the warmth of like, learning about the story behind the bar in terms of the maker and the farmer so um before i left for india (laughs) you were always checking in on me and being like hey how are you doing and uh wondering how i was doing because it was kind of a big deal you know the chocolate garage i put my everything into it for so many years seven years and so getting to the point of realizing like you know what sunita like you've kind of known this for some time that you've been artificially holding this business up with your stubbornness and with your endless amounts of energy that you pour in um and you know, and with a wonderful community who also back it, and you know, looking at it more realistically, and and realizing that um, it's not, you know, it just doesn't make sense, and it's 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 too much energy going in, and now things are sort of decreasing for a bunch of different reasons. We can get into that. I I sort of hypothesize are reasons why we stopped growing. Um, yeah, so I'm kind of feeling excited about possible ways to move forward but it's kind of it is a, for me at least i think and for a lot of the folks in the community it's kind of a sad moment because i think that one of the things people loved was coming together on a weekly or twice a week basis and you know gathering around chocolate but having a place where people gather and share and learn and not always about chocolate about other stuff too
1: yeah so what are what are some of the things that um because we, we haven't really talked then since you got back and yeah, you mentioned that um, there, there are some exciting things that you're thinking about. So what, so what specifically um, has you, has you excited?
0: Well, I mean, so I'm not sure I'm ready to talk about all of them, but um, they're, they're along the lines. Like when I, two years ago, I already knew I could see that even though we had been growing consistently and we were doing okay. And we had really been on the right trajectory It was clear to me that at the rate that we were growing, um, we were not going to be able to survive losing our space. So our physical space is very inexpensive for Palo Alto. And so um, it was clear to me that if we lost it because the property manager decided or the owner decided to build, you know, which they would do in a heartbeat if they got permission, an office space or a parking lot or whatever – that we would not be able to survive in Palo Alto because the rents would be so much higher in a different space. So at that time I had decided, what can I do? Like, how can I make this work? And I had tried a membership model. And one of the things I've talked about, I think on previous podcasts was the idea of, can you build something where people are supporting or part of uh, a space that exists to serve them, not just around chocolate, but around all kinds of foods. And I I feel, and I I think I referenced this again in our last podcast around the Amazon buying Whole Foods. I feel like um, the the store that used to stand for local, that understood that there was a new desire amongst customers to have access to local foods and to, you know, know where stuff came from and to support local artisan ice cream makers and cheese makers, like that movement really like Whole Foods got it that people wanted that and really worked at it for the past many years to really make that available to people and really market it and that's going away it's already been going away before Amazon even purchased Whole Foods but certainly now the kinds of ways that the ways that um, the Whole Foods is going to purchase is going to go away from that kind of local decision making and go much more to like headquarters so I feel like that leaves a really big gaping whole, because I don't think Whole Foods did the greatest job of that. I think they marketed it really well. But there's still, I think, a strong desire from people. Um, And there's a growing food movement, as you can see with Good Food Awards, you know, you see across the country, more and more and more folks coming into making, you know, tasty, authentic, responsible food, as Good Food Awards calls it. And that's in all categories, you know, every year they add a new category. Um, of food. So it's not just chocolate, it's cheese and spirits and beer and preserves and all of that. So um, there's something there that I think is really interesting. I think there's an opportunity either online or offline and in person in brick and mortar, maybe online first, and then you could roll out brick and mortar later, I'm not sure, um, to do that, to have, you know, a, a curated food selection. Um, that is, let's call it happy food. You know, I always refer to the chocolate we carry as happy chocolate in terms of our method for curation and, and sourcing products. But I think that, um, that there's a vacuum there. I, I, think, I think nationally, I think there's, there's very few sort of local grocery stores that are doing that um maybe there's a little bit around specialty like i don't know what there is in your neck of the woods but i always think of like cured boulder and boulder they have this like specialty shop but it's not it's very much a specialty shop very small um for for um for specialty products but i don't see you know there, there it feels like there's a big hole being left as whole foods further evolves um right yeah so that's kind of very vague but um i'm I guess i'm I'm kind of interested in I'm exploring a bunch of ideas right now, and i'm I'm talking sure. to some local folks who are also interested in um in this issue, in this problem of like, how do we get quality, healthy food in a space that holds it up and helps customers understand the value and appreciate it and then pay the price for it because one thing is for sure is that um, our food is heavily subsidized and we don't have a good sense of what food should cost. So it leaves people who are doing a really good job at a huge disadvantage because they're competing with stuff that is just not even the same category in terms of you know, quality and sourcing and, and craftsmanship. So sure. I think that, yeah, I don't know. So that's something I'm thinking a lot about. And I actually think that I would love to, I, I don't know, like, um, how much other folks feel this way. And I'm curious to know what you think. But I feel like one of the pieces of the supply chain, and I've, I've brought this up in previous podcasts, that's either ignored or sort of um, demonized or not understood, certainly, is the retail store, you know? Um, I think that I, I see, I've sort of seen indications of this in the past years, and it's made me think about really being transparent about um, the about all of the financials. Like there's this idea that retail stores don't really do anything and they take the biggest margin. And I think that's a really interesting thing to look at because um, when I look at my peers who are doing specialty chocolate and selling specialty chocolate, um, and I, I may have mentioned this in the podcast before, like every single one of them, there is subsidizing going on one way or the other. Um, meaning that they're not running a business that is just like easily surviving um, just by selling craft chocolate. There's either something else, there's other factors involved to allow it to exist. And so um, I guess I I think that that's, I don't know, that's something that I'm thinking a lot about. And maybe it's because it's a very sensitive spot for me because I feel like you know, tried so hard to build a very lean brick and mortar that created a very different experience for folks that was built around community and relationships and trust. And, you know, even though I think that there was a lot of excitement and a lot of loyalty and a lot of connection to that store, like in the long term and actually truthfully, um, it it never was in a place where it genuinely was getting by without subsidies. And the subsidies in this case for me was like, my endless amounts of time and energy and my savings and my sacrifice to make it happen because i was you know so determined to try to build something different so yeah i think that it feels like that's something that gets left behind or not talked about or even not even just ignored but seen as i think wrongly seen as a segment a section in the supply chain that um is uh, either like taking advantage of makers and just sort of doing nothing and skimming or is just not even thought about at all. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. And, and what are your thoughts?
1: Uh, I don't know that I necessarily have any. It does make it does make sense, but um, yeah, I think, I, I mean, and I do think we've probably talked about a little bit. I think people are, they just have themselves too busy now with a lot of things. And so like- it's just it's just not there on their priority list to like think about it you know what i mean right. um right. or um in some instances i th- i feel like it's easy for people to come off as whoa like i'm not going to carry the weight like like they they like those local in relationship areas, until they have to kind of carry the weight, and I only say that because I know of a a, a store that uh, back where we were in Texas, and mm-hmm. all the time I felt like <clears throat> I felt like they they weren't exactly doing too great financially, and they would always send out newsletters like, "You, if you care about us, mm-hmm. you <laughs> have to come in and you mm-hmm. have to support us," and these are these reasons. This is an article about why shopping this other way is bad and like don't be a bad person don't be bad <laughs> like come in and support us or you will never ever be able to again like I mean pr- pretty much just like that every wow. time and I feel like there's I feel like there's a, a point in time maybe I'm being a little fabricated but um, I feel like there's a point <laughs> in time where you're just like okay like I can't carry the weight of that right. for you right Right. Um, you know, and so sometimes I feel like some people w- might be like they might back up even more because like they they're not comfortable around that. And then the other um, is just people are just fine using things for the knowledge and resource and then they want to find the best price of it. Right. So they'll go yeah. into a Best Buy to try out all these different stereos and stuff and then they'll go find it on eBay or Amazon or something. Yeah. Uh, prime it, you know, or. Hey, I'm gonna go to the music store and like listen to all these cool records. You don't have to. Well, this is dating me because you don't have to do that anymore. You could listen because it's immediately available digitally on these streaming services. But you know, you used to go into a store and you could listen to the albums um, to decide if you want to buy it. And you know, you, then you're like, cool. Well, I've got my list of things to go home and pick up on MP3 or whatever. You know. Yeah. So uh, it's just.
0: It's, it's a hard it's a hard just, thing because yeah, yeah people are are thinking about i mean i think they're not thinking actually um because you know i remember i had a i had some customers and um you know for the first 5 years of the chocolate garage when you walked in there were 6 different chocolates out for tasting and people we were not like you know, divvying up like a tiny piece per person. They were on the table, there were tongs, you sat down, you served yourself. We were not on people to say like, hey, one piece only. Like it was just there. It was generous and it was what you could do when you were in the chocolate garage. And then, you know, most people, especially because it's such a small space, we're obviously not a huge Whole Foods or Costco that's whipping out samples. We're a small store and there's human beings who are connected to the store very close by. I felt like people for the most part were really, lovely about it you know they would taste they wouldn't exaggerate and then they would be like oh well I really love this bar I'm gonna I'm gonna buy it or these bars or whatever but there would be some people who are just I don't I don't even know and it doesn't matter what their thought process was but you know they would come in and they I remember one one woman wanted to get like um, some gifts for a party and wanted to buy a particular bar. Um, and had looked online for it and she had learned about the bar through us because she would come in like every weekend and taste chocolate and enjoy free, in quotes, you know, my cost chocolate, because I was breaking up bars I paid for so that people could taste them, right? And she would come in and try all this stuff and got to know so much about craft chocolate and got to taste so many different bars. (laughs) And then bless her heart, she actually was totally honest about this, which I don't know if that's better or worse. She would be like, Oh, well, you know, I found that I could buy this bar from this distributor, you know, for this much less. And if I order enough, then I get free shipping. So I don't see why I should buy it from you. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, my God, lady, you're killing me. And at the time, I was like, you know, earlier in my business than I am now, where now I would just have a really honest discussion. It'd be like, you know, sure, but by the way, you know, please don't come in the store and taste chocolate here and then go and buy online because that's actually just abuse. You know, you're taking advantage of the fact that we're paying for you to be educated in chocolate and then you're not even buying from us. Like, that's just not cool. But at the time I was just, I bit my tongue or my lip and I just didn't really say anything. I was just sort of irritated that, that that was so obviously how businesses like mine go away <laughs> if everybody does that. And of course everybody doesn't do it. And we had a wonderful community for the most part. But I think that, you know, even just the other day, the same person was complaining about how, well, Sunita won't give me the price that I want on this bar. And it's like, lady, you know, like I'm not marking up these bars more than a regular retail store. Um, you know, you have to understand how these mechanisms of businesses work. And I think that's where the trouble is, is that people don't understand that, you know, what it looks like to run a business and have a retail shop and have inventory and staff it and pay people, you know, who are skilled and qualified and understand the bars and can engage any customer and do that really well, which is what we did at the Chocolate Garage, you know, that costs money. And so um, it's, yeah, I think that, it just, I didn't have any idea before I had a business. And, um, yeah, I think it just seems like people just think that things are too expensive. You know, when you, you mentioned the the store that Kristen worked at, like we had one of those around here as well, and it kind of struggled and, um, they didn't send out emails like <laughs> <laughs> like the ones you're describing, which maybe you're slightly exaggerating. But I understand that. I understand um, owners feeling that way, especially when when you realize people are coming in, checking it out, trying it on, and then going somewhere else to buy it for $10 less or Amazon priming it. It's, it's the death of local retail. That's how it happens. And um, there's no real solution, I think, other than stores going away. And when they're gone, you realize what you what you appreciated or what you're well, missing. Well,
1: not, well, just, just not, just not yet. So what's going to happen? Like, like <laughs> most things, right? Like all the, all retail will die. All cities will just become <sighs> new energy efficient neon and then like hip restaurants. And then people are going to be d- digging, ordering their stuff online. And then they're going to say, there's gotta be a better way. I've got to be able just to like go down the street and get this. And then someone's going to come in and say, Johnny, I've got a brilliant idea. Why don't we take this from the web and make a store? And they're going to go, What? (laughs) Oh my gosh. What an idea. And then they're going to open it and people are going to be like, Oh my gosh, what is this thing? What is this place? And they're going to go visit it. And then it's going to come back. We just have to wait like another 15 years. But.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I, um, it's an interesting thing to think about. I I feel like. I don't know. Uh, when I look at how things are going here in the Valley, I feel like it's, you know, all of the, not all of them, but a lot of these new things like convenient sort of um, two clicks and you get your hot chocolate chip cookies and milk delivered to you in 10 minutes. And who was telling me this the other day? I don't even remember who it was. They were telling. We totally had a startup here that was like that, where you could just like, you know, order, like they'd arrive nice and hot and you'd have your fresh chocolate chip cookies, like one or two, you know, that's how you could order them. And they were like, I'm sure super expensive. But somebody was telling me that this was something that happened especially at night when people were really... Really baked and had the munchies. They would um, order these things to snack on, and you could pay extra. So you could either pay less if you walked down to the curb and got your delivery, or if you couldn't walk down to the curb and they had to like come up the stairs, then you had to pay a little bit more. Anyways, I don't know where, who told me that story, but I thought it was kind of hilarious. Um, so the point being that I don't know. Do you guys have Instacart? Have you, when you were in Texas, did you like? Do you have these services now where, um, you know, you live 10 minute drive from Whole Foods and you don't want to go to Whole Foods so you can just like go on Instacart and order the things that you want. And then you have this person who runs around the store who picks these things for you and throws them in a bag and brings them to you. And do you guys have that happening um, in your grocery stores?
1: Well, so we are our, our big grocery store here is Kroger. And mm-hmm. they have click click list is what it's called, and but I don't think they deliver it to you. They'll just gather it, and then you park in one of their spots as if it's like a Chili's to go or mm-hmm. something, or and then and they'll grab it. then they'll bring it out to your car. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it is easier, and you don't have to go in and shop, especially you know if you're if you have kids, you can't you don't want to take into a store or yeah. you know you've stolen a car and you don't want people to catch you on a video <laughs> camera. Like these are great. <laughs> These, these are great solutions, you know, to get your groceries. Um, so, so similar, but not exactly the same. But yes.
0: Well, so to me, I mean, that is crazy. I feel like if you tried to pull that off in – I keep referring to Europe and our relationship with food in Europe. But like if you tried to pull that off in Europe, people – I mean, it might work for if you wanted to or buy a pound of rice and some oatmeal. But people – It's amazing to me that people will not want to engage with their food more or choose something carefully, like touch the fruit or whatever. I don't know why I'm bringing this up. Actually, there's no point to this. But um, I look at how things are evolving here in Silicon Valley and how much convenience matters and saving time. You know, the, the more we have time saving shit in our lives, the more we obsess about saving time and the more stressed out we are. And so it just seems like it, with this with this goal of being super convenient, we're slowly getting rid of all human interaction, or a lot of it, um, around purchasing things. And so, I don't know. I think, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it'll take like 15 years or whatever amount of time before all that's gone. People already say retail is, there is no more retail. The only thing that, that there will be is um, experiences. If you can create an experience and it's not just a transaction, then that will survive. But- I would say that, you know, intuitively that's what I built with the Chocolate Garage not knowing that that was what people were saying and you know even that is hard creating an experience
1: um Well, I mean, it's because crea- what's not the not creating
0: the experience but making it work financially.
1: Right, I mean, and what's the what's the what's the um what's the return a customer on that too, right? You know, so you have to think about that. What's the what? Yeah, uh, I forget exactly what the term is. It's not um, your it's your uh your return rate on that in terms on of an like experience. people coming.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: right. So I mean, like, so then, so then the you have a an average of like who would do that, but then if they're not if they're not repeating or coming back, which I mean, I guess ha- you know that's where having like the future chocolate would tap into that. So it brings people back. But otherwise, right. Then you don't have people as much have, you know, being, okay, well, I've done that. So I don't necessarily need to again. And so I've had that experience. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. There has to be always new stuff or new stuff to taste or new makers coming in to release new bars, you know, that kind of thing keeps people engaged and coming. Um, But again, like you have to, yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking about how we used to do those kinds of events. And the way that we did them was we made it a perk for future chocolate holders. Like one of the bonuses of having your prepaid tab was that when we had events, it would be for future chocolate folks to come and engage, right? It was like the reward. And if they're more committed, then they're more interested actually in knowing more about the chocolate. So I don't know. Actually, you know what? This topic is like, <laughs> it's so been on my mind lately that I'm like, ugh, yuck. I'm kind of tired of it. So maybe we should, um, maybe we should uh, talk about something delicious that we've been eating lately. That, um, and then we can sure. like wrap up the show with that. What have you been eating that's delicious?
1: So this is actually different from what we talked about before the show, but um, I'm gonna admit something. Um, and Snickers if,
0: Crispers. Is no, that what are called?
1: It is. Did I get it? Wrong? Um, no. no, no, you didn't bring me one uh, of
0: those, by the way.
1: Oh, well, you didn't take me to get poutine, so maybe I had it in my backpack and I just didn't give it to you because I was waiting for the transaction. (laughs) I was waiting to have an experience with you and I didn't get it, so... Um, No crispers. So so don't tell Cynthia from Soma because like a couple of months ago, she kind of got pissed at me about this, but um, last holiday season, I bought... Ton of gingerbread toffee mm. and the cookies so and milk good. chocolate bark. Uh huh. And I think also the these little cookie type things with um. I don't. I think it had toffee and some and like sea salt and stuff on it. And I remember posting something about it, and she was like, Oh my gosh, th- these are like Those are months so old. old. Please please eat these in their full entirety. <laughs> They'll be back very soon. And I was like, Okay, okay, I will, I will. Um, but I still had a little gingerbread toffee. Oh, um, yum. That's so think, good. And I think I just finished it today i might actually have one more bag i still need to go back and look i don't think i do i think i kind of demolished it but i had one last piece i savored it earlier today and then i still have more of the cookies and milk chocolate bark (laughs) and um not only did i have that last night but it's ginger cookies recording it's ginger it's it's shortbread and milk chocolate i think it's uh it's, I thought it was a chocolate shortbread. Um, maybe it's gingerbread. Maybe maybe this- They might have done maybe, more than one. Okay, so yeah, there's one on their site now that is shortbread. I think it is the gingerbread. I think it's gingerbread on milk chocolate, and you're right. And um, And I think after we get done, I'm going to pour myself a big glass of milk and go back and have more of it because having that bar with a big glass of milk is really really good so um the stale
0: cookies the stale cookies on the back of that milk chocolate (laughs) poor cynthia she's rolling she's like having a heart attack right now
1: well i can't wait to get more actually again like i said i'm on the site and i see that there are milk it's milk chocolate bark with a shortbread crumble so i might have to get that and wait for all the christmas stuff to come back again because um because those are just really, really delicious, and I tell you what, I was actually noticing. Um, I think I've realized that I don't like single origin chocolate because I'm looking at all my favorite things, and it's like <laughs> this. It's like gingerbread toffee, or it's <laughs> like this, like the raspberry balsamic pear bar, or <laughs> it's it's, um, it's all this stuff that's not. <laughs> it's it's not all it's these words. like yeah and then i was like oh it's snickers crispers for example <laughs> um
0: oh my god you can't put that in the so anyway, box
1: apparently apparently i don't like chocolate for real not true not true not true <laughs> i do
0: well it's it's like this is the thing right if you're that's what I was sort of starting this whole conversation with, was say, like, I ate a bunch of chocolate today, and then I named them, and it was, like, sweet and sassy, uh, malted milk. I think I also tasted the original beans, milk, the dark milk that they had. And, you yeah. know, I don't think I mentioned a single dark, and I'm trying to think if there was a dark that I ate today. Yeah, so it was kind of like true confessions, right? Like, when when I'm at the chocolate garage and I have a little hankering for something, like, what am I eating? I'm <laughs> eating the same stuff you're eating. But having said that, like... In a well, sense it's like those are mindless eats, not really mindless but they're just comfort food, right? Where it's mm-hmm. really delicious, like I definitely notice the flavors when I'm eating them and I enjoy them, but when you're having a plain dark chocolate that's a single origin, um it's it's more thoughtful and more serious it feels, right? Like Right. And so um, I don't know, I guess I'm I I, I like being not thoughtful and not serious when I'm eating chocolate, I guess. Let me tell you what um, I really enjoyed today. Actually, I first enjoyed it a couple of days ago when I went to the chocolate garage and saw that we'd had a delivery and unpacked the box and saw the new Patrick malted milk. So I broke it open and grabbed a bar and um, I sampled it quite studiously, let's say. I think I ate about a third of the bar, which was really not necessary um, just to get a sense of what it tasted like. But it was really delicious. And um, like I mentioned, I think I already mentioned earlier in the show that it's it's one of the things that Patrick has done. Actually, the the first bar he did that was basically a white chocolate. So before anyone else had ever that I know of had ever done um a white chocolate bar that was kind of like a a vehicle for delivering other flavors, um, Patrick did a cappuccino OMG. He has an OMG line, as many of you will know. And it was, as a cappuccino is, it was chocolate-free. It didn't have any chocolate on it. in it. It was um, white chocolate, sugar milk, and um, coffee. And it was, like, unbelievably delicious and sweet and decadent. And you were kind of like, oh, I feel guilty for, not guilty, but, like, I feel like I shouldn't like this, but it's just so damn good. Anyways... The malted milk is sort of in the same sort of realm because it has so much cocoa butter in it. It's basically almost like a white chocolate with a bit of cocoa added. I don't know if it's fair to say that, but you know, just looking at the ingredient list, that's certainly the case. And I think your raspberry balsamic pear. Do you have that around? Because you just mentioned it. I think I do. It, it might be an or, a butter, cocoa butter as first ingredient as well.
1: Yeah, that bar is just just a super tasty bar, super crazy, super tasty.
0: Raspberry balsamic. Mhm. I feel like it tastes like jelly bellies. That's what it sure. reminds me of
1: delicious jelly bellies.